On this episode, Kirk steals a boatload of children, the Superman beg to hear some Genesis, Chekhov won't listen since Mr. Rourke put a bug in his ear, and Jim gains a son while losing a Vulcan. It's Star Trek II, the best of the best. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Find something to hold on to, because there are no seatbelts on this bridge. Welcome back to part two of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. When we last spoke, there was a group of strippers that bugged Chekhov. We got to meet Genesis, and Kirk got a message that his kid needed a ride away from his space station. Now we pick up with Kirk needing to check out a quick video on just what the heck his baby mama Carol was talking about. We're going to go down and watch that film. And to start that film, what do we do? Kirk's got to do a retinal scan. There we go. Which I thought was really cool for the time. Yes, actually, I thought that was pretty, uh, that was an amazing, it's like, hey, wow, you actually have security on stuff. Right? It's, it is one of the only times that they ever do actual security on the Enterprise. Because <laughs> every other time it's like, I'm going to shout my super secret code to the entire room. That's the only way that anything is ever secured. <laughs> so let's let's get this straight. In Starfleet, the only thing that has any sort of really hard security on is YouTube right? Actually, you know what? This, this is a project I think I'm going to take up. I want to, I'm going to start with TNG. And from that point forward, I'm going to listen and see if any of these high ranking officials on these ships change their code from one emergency to another. Cause like Picard sets off the self-destruct like 30 times during that show. There's, there's gotta be like, I'm, I guarantee you he reuses that code at least once. And somebody on the bridge is like, "Hey, did you uh, did you write down Picard's code? That's going to be awesome. We're going to be able to find all the Romulan ale. All we got to do is use his code." Anyway, uh, <laughs> so now so, we're, we're going to see the first CGI sequence ever in a film, which is cool as hell. I yes. mean. Um, it's a, it's a flyby scene of mountains that were procedurally generated on a, uh, planetoid. And, um, it's, it's one of the cooler things, uh, until I found out something about it <laughs> that as the camera is flying through the mountainous scene, at one point it runs into one of the mountains because they're procedurally generated. And uh, so they went in in post-production and added a little canyon there for the camera to fly through. (laughs) It's it's so fast you almost can't see it, but it it was, you know, the computer guy in me was like, ha ha, look at that. (laughs) No, figuring the, I mean, just the, the technology available, the computers that were available at the time to pull this off, I mean, and for it to actually look as good as it did. Uh, well, I think people forget that just because it's it's all wireframe and everything, there's still a lot of rendering that the computer has to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is why that uh, the the guy who rendered this went off to start a little company you might have heard of because uh, <laughs> he started Pixar. Uh, out, or he, well, he helped start Pixar. Uh, he was part of the uh, the ILM group who who spun off of there. Uh, I hadn't heard that until you told me today. That was that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a new one on me. I, uh, when I read that, it's like, Oh, that would, I mean, 
it makes sense because you look at like i said for the time you look at what they produced and uh and well and to think that they have that mantle of being the very first full cgi sequence ever on a movie that's 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 a pretty good feather in your cap See, this is one of those things, folks. You have cell phones, thanks to communicators. You have iPads, thanks to pads. You have Pixar, thanks to Genesis. Amen. Star Trek just gives so much and asks so little. See, I'm not crazy when I make the mistake of calling um, Starfleet Star Command because <laughs> there is a connection with Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> okay. Um, so now after they, they watch Genesis, the Reliant starts coming towards them. Yes. <laughs> and for some reason, this is when, when they get back to the bridge, this is the first time I noticed that all of the bridge chairs on the enterprise looked like they were upholstered with one of Don Johnson's jackets from Miami vice. Right. And they're super wrinkled too. Like, yes. didn't anybody have an iron? Yes. <laughs> like, it's, oh, it looked like, okay. My mom had the eighties pink couch. So I'm pretty sure they went to my mom's house and took some of her cushions <laughs> to make these and then brought them back before we noticed. I like, I'm, I'm almost certain that if you, you know, like parted the cushions on this, you'll find there's like Cheerios and stuff in there. Cause it's that kind of couch. <laughs> they, they just looked gross. I, I, I looked at that and I'm like, I don't want to sit in those. It's one of those things of like some, sometimes 4k giveth and sometimes 4k taketh away. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> it was like listening to the stones on, on uh, CD for the first time. You know what? They actually aren't in tune. so they're watching the reliant approach and i love the conversations of like everything's fine right we shouldn't be worried about this starfleet vessel approaching us right and of course um savik stands up and is like sir general order blah 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 says that we are supposed to to identify ourselves and do a scan or whatever she says and he's like ah what do you know? I got this. Don't worry about it. So one thing I did not know about that mm-hmm. in the modern Navy, if you were to do that, yeah, you could actually be put in jail. No kidding. If you didn't make each other identify and all that. If you, uh, if you were to quote regulations to a higher officer. Oh, Oh, could, what she did. Yeah. Um, a buddy of mine in the Navy, I mentioned that one time is like, Oh no, that, that scene like for Navy people is hilarious because yeah, she would have been out of there when Spock turns around and says the Admiral knows the, you know, is aware of the regulations. He's telling her, sit down and shut up. You're in trouble. (laughs) Wow. I did not know that. Now here's really, really, we're going to get kind of technically geeky here. They have the conversation, as you say, Mm Mm-hmm. They're not, the Reliant isn't talking to us and we're not sure why, but we're going to keep on moving closer to it. Right. The, um, at some point he does say yellow alert and Savick says defensive screens raised. Yeah. Which are not the same as deflector shields. We've never heard of defensive screens before. We will never hear from them again. What the heck are defensive screens? Uh, so she moved her mouse to the bottom left of the screen and pulled up her defensive screen. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That has bugged me. That has bugged me forever. <laughs> and that has been solved. Thank you so there much. There you go. 
That's that's yeah, all, exactly all she had to do is needed. she clicked the start button and <laughs> she got her defensive screens. I, I have yeah. a whole different desktop just for blowing stuff up. Right. Totally makes sense. She she's like, we're putting away our free cell screens <laughs> and we're pulling up our defensive screens. <laughs> so uh they get closer and closer, and uh now is the time that Khan says that. He's gonna he's gonna quote the old Klingon proverb: "Revenge is a dish best served cold." Which, this guy is from 1996. He's never met a Klingon, <laughs> so but he did he did read all of the Enterprise's uh, library when he was very first pulled out of a. But it's Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> like he would quote Shakespeare, anyway. Which which is best in the original Klingon. Ugh. Don't I, know. I know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Great movie, but ugh. Um, so, of course, then he fires on the Enterprise, and that's when we find out there's a lot of flammable stuff in that bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand why everything on the bridge of the Enterprise is always really flammable. And how much of their technology is just built off of sparkler technology. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, if if we know anything from uh, the previous movie, it's that Scotty doesn't actually know how anything works. He just kind of pulls plastic wires out of everything until something sparks. So that's probably how he fixed everything on the bridge, too. That's <laughs> how I hook up stereos. So, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Now you you made a you, you talked about uh, the director was really into horror of war shots. Yes. Now this actually starts um, uh, with the the uh, as soon as Kirk says yellow alert, the mu- music starts to pick up, and all of a sudden there's lots of activity. We see hands hitting buttons. We see things of that nature. Lots of activity. When the shots happen, we see the horror of war shots, which. In my mind, I always think of uh, Richard Attenborough's uh, Battle of Britain, where you have lots of heroism, but he also has to throw in, yeah, but horrible stuff is happening as well. Yeah, We see some scenes here that actually are really, really well, as far as stunt coordination, the explosions, people in the midst of explosions, things blowing up. Now, one thing that really struck me, because you brought up the point of the um, the Star Trek trope of the door, the closing door. Oh, yeah. The, the isolation doors. Yes. Um, the isolation doors in this particular scene, we mm-hmm. will see again as uh, the uh, shuttle bay doors for the Enterprise D. Yeah. It's the one that comes down in the middle of the uh, the warp engine, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, uh, now, so incidentally, though, the guy that was reaching under the door in this one did actually get saved. They didn't start the trope here. I thought they did. And then I rewatched it and I was like, wait a minute. They did pull him out at the last minute. It cracks me up because right after you mentioned that I watched uh, Voyager year of hell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a point where the doctor has to close the door before the guy can get there. And, and uh, yeah. well, Voyager year of hell, I think they lose like half the crew to that, th- to that exact scene. Like, you know, <laughs> they're just going to keep closing <laughs> doors in people's faces. I really wish they would have done the original thing and made that entire year. Uh, um, an entire uh, story arc over a year. Oh yeah, that'd be fantastic. I, I think that would have been. Anyway, 
And, and now we know things are really bad because the lights on the bridge are red. Oh yes. So we know things are bad because you don't even have enough power to run your regular white lights. You have to move to the red, which why do white lights take so much more power? I've never understood <laughs> that. Like you'd think if you need to fix everything, you want bright lights. That's what I would think. Not like, you know, oh, let's get the dingiest red lights we can find. We're going to, we're going to try to work on tiny electronics now. I don't think so. <laughs> Also, all those consoles that blow up all the time, do you think there's actually a a bay somewhere on the Enterprise that's full of like bridge consoles? I would assume so. Yeah, you just plug them in. Right? Like like the whole thing just you know, unbolt it from the floor, carry it in the other room, bring in a new one. <laughs> you know, it's funny is that I joke about that, but I guarantee you Paramount set had a room like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why the Enterprise D uh, had to, you know, had walls with just banks on them instead of lots of, uh, instead of a lot of uh, stations. Cause like, you know what? We just don't want to replace those every single time. Right. We'll, <laughs> we'll just pop the plexiglass out, uh, <laughs> put in a new sparkler. We'll call it a day. <laughs> um, so they, they suddenly, so Khan is like, I want Genesis. And, well, okay. So first off, Khan reveals himself and Kirk's yeah, like, oh, hey, you're, you're Khan. Wow. <laughs> I totally remember you. He looks nothing like he did in the sixties, but you know, Hey, whatever. That's, yeah. That's it, it was a quick pickup. Right. Um, <laughs> Khan doesn't have a whole lot to say other than I want Genesis. So I'm, <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to make a point that before you die, <laughs> I'm the one who killed you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, the, I'm, I'm the smartest man on the entire planet, but I'm also really petty. <laughs> so he, uh, so he tells Kirk, I forget how long he gave him. Was it a minute, two minutes, something he, like that? He gives him one minute, one minute. And I, I have to admit, this was a fun scene. Kirk and, and the rest of the crew are like, Oh, we're going to play. Like, uh, we don't, uh, where did I, did I put Genesis in my other pocket? Uh, was it over in that station? Uh, I, I don't, I don't remember where I put it. And the whole time he's like, Hey, so, uh, Spock, can you, can you look up the six digit code for the ship? <laughs> Spock's like, yeah, totally. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and I love I that. Uh, Savick's sitting there and Savick's like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Khan's like, is everything okay back there? What's 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 going on? You guys, uh, are you are you getting me Genesis? Because I really want Genesis. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, serious point though. Kirk does pull out his glasses. You can tell he's very annoyed by the fact that he needs his glasses. Unserious point. When he finds the code, he gives it to Spock. Spock enters a six numerical digit code by pushing six switches. I don't think that's how their keyboards really work. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Anyway, that one, he's like, Oh, what's the number? Click, click, click. I'm like, really? (laughs) You guys couldn't have shown numbers. I'm going to go with a rationalization here. Mm -hmm. The code was already loaded in. Those mm-hmm. switches were particular to the uh, transmittal 
of them. So then the, he was hitting them as he was hitting them, the numbers were already loaded in the computer and he was transmitting them over to the, uh, I will only give device. that to you because at this point, digital communication is not really that big in the early eighties. <laughs> that's the only reason I'm going to give that to you. <laughs> Rationalization. Yeah. Right. Cause everything about that was just garbage. Um, so they, they enter it all in and uh, when they do, well, suddenly their shields don't work. Well, why don't our shields work? Raise and them. So, right. <laughs> I can't, sir. I also really like that, uh, that this guy calls Khan sir the whole time. <laughs> I, I don't think that really would be how this works. They've been living on a planet for what? 30 years, 20 years. There, 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 there's no chain of command there. Anyway, it sounded better than I can't Bob. Right. <laughs> um, well, I guess it kept him from accidentally calling him Ricardo. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they, they fire on the ship on the Reliant. The Reliant takes damage and they hobble away. And Kirk gets to do his fire. Uh, fire. Oh, so, so this is one of the scenes that, um, that was particularly pointed out for Nicholas Meyer's uh, technique of working with William Shatner. Reportedly, the line when uh, um, Khan tells him time and Kirk tells him, here it comes now. Reportedly, Nicholas Meyer, the director, could not get Shatner to do the now subtly. He said every time he did it, it sounded as if he was about to give the... the give away that something's happening. And so they had to do the scene so many times until Shatner was just worn out and resigned to just say, now <laughs> that's a wrap. It's Put it in the can, right? That's, that's the, the final shot where Shatner was just like, he was so pissed off. He's like, now, and they're like, yes, that's it. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Now he does deliver a line that I absolutely love. I, I, so I legitimately love this line. I love the way he delivered it. Um, clearly, like you said, he was tired at this point. <laughs> um, because Savick is like, you performed amazingly. How did you, how did you pull that off? That was so great. And he's like, all I did was get caught with my britches down, which first off, he acknowledges she was right. He acknowledges that he was wrong. And he acknowledges that they're not out of the woods. I thought that was really, really done well. And quite frankly, Shatner's delivery was amazing. Yes. Yes. The, the, uh, the obvious annoyance with his own self uh, regarding the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. Right. Um, so a- after the uh, Reliant turns tail and starts taking off, I did notice that the model, when they had clearly done battle damage to the model, it looked like they had just snapped off pieces of plastic. <laughs> like the, the outer shell was just cracked and broken off. It did not look like a ship damage. It, it was, it was pretty bad. Now the real damage. Like, wow. They didn't really damage that. They just dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> now the real damage to the enterprise is the processing unit for the, uh, for the turbo lifts. Because when Scotty finds his dead, his dying nephew, and tries to take him to sick bay for some reason, the doors open onto the bridge. <laughs> so, okay, let's let's talk about that for a sec. So Scotty walks out. It's 
this really sad moment. He's got the dead kid. They've never actually mentioned the fact that this is supposed to be his nephew. Yes. Depends on which version you're watching. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't um, know that was an edit. Okay. Yeah. I, I have an edited version, the special edition or something like that, where he, he does make mention of it. Um, oh, interesting. <clears throat> I'll bet you by- when they come out with the director's edition, was it next year? I think um, that uh, they'll add that back in. Yeah. There was just, cause there wasn't a super lot added, but there were just a few pieces um, that were added on this also. Um, oh, first of all, do want to point out uh, Peter Pressman was uh, uh, played by Ike Eisenman, who was a child actor most famous for the Witch Mountain Disney movies. Um, oh, yeah. And so he was a, a known actor at that time. He was also in, I believe, one of the, uh, uh, I believe it was either Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, one of those movies as well. But he was a, a working actor, a child actor up to that point. So for those of us who had been watching seventies Disney movies, it was a, it was a nice surprise to see. Oh my God. It is him. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, another thing about oh, this. I did not know. He played the sheriff in race to Witch mountain with the rock. That's I just found hilarious. that out today. Cause I was looking to, I was looking through his IMDb and I just saw that. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Anyway. So another thing about this scene also is that when Savick turns around, she she does a quick gasp. Um, the original uh, script of this of this story was supposed to include the fact that Savick was a Vulcan Romulan hybrid, um, not a full Vulcan, not a Vulcan human, Vulcan Romulan. So her level of control might not have been the greatest, and or I shouldn't say the greatest, her level of control may not have been to the levels that Spock had. Of course, mm-hmm. she's much younger as well, but it was done very subtly. There's three points in the Kobayashi Maru. She says, damn out of mm-hmm. frustration in this scene. She gasps when she sees uh, Peter dead. Now in the novelization, her and Peter knew each other. She was tutoring Peter and Peter had a crush on her. So there okay. was that. And then also in the funeral scene where she will tear up. Um, those were very, very minor, very subtle things, but they were supposed to show that Savick was not a full-born Vulcan, um, that she actually did not have the, the level of control that full-born Vulcans would have. Okay. So we switch over to the research facility. Yes. And... As the, <laughs> so they come out of an elevator and, uh, we see that there are signs leading to the geoplastics department, <laughs> the thermonics department, gravitronics department. Uh, there is techno babble all over the walls in this place. I, I think it's pretty funny actually. Um, I did it's find, those I wish I had that job. To make up those right. things. <laughs> uh, there's actually a, a whole article on Memory Alpha, taught, or, the, or not a whole article, but like they they name all of the different techno babble that you can find on there. The other thing that uh, that you get to see in this scene, which makes me super duper happy, is the fluorescent tube machine. <laughs> so in in research scenes in Star Trek, you will see a machine that is basically um, it, it's like a desk that has fluorescent tubes on it (laughs) and they're either white or red 
and it'll have a grouping of two of those tubes. And it looks like they kind of fire back and forth to each other. And that's all it does. They just <laughs> flash on and off. Now, interestingly enough, this is so common in Star Trek <laughs> that uh, when William Shatner was in Airplane 2, there is a scene where one of these is in the room and he's he's asked about it and he's like, yeah, I don't know what that does. <laughs> he's like, all I know is it just sits there and flashes on and off. I have no idea what it does. I have no idea why it's there. <laughs> It makes me so happy, but it shows up in next gen. It shows up in Voyager. It shows up on DS nine. I I don't think it ever comes up after DS nine, but I mean, come on, this is one of the, (laughs) it's, it's one of my personal favorites. I've been watching those things for years. Now, are you familiar Um, with the GND inlines? No. In the original series, in the Jeffrey's tubes, Mm -hmm. everyone's well, you'll see a, a tube or a small, like a wiring conduit that's, that has GNDN on it, mm-hmm. which stands for goes nowhere, does nothing. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, completely unrelated to, to Star Trek. Um, I played Borderlands, uh, the most recent Borderlands game. Uh-huh. Uh, and you go on a ship. And when you're on the ship, you one of your missions is you got to make it your way to the other end of the ship. And above you, there is this giant coolant line. And then on the other side of the ship, above you is a giant heatant line. It makes me so happy every time I see it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so the other thing that I really like about walking around this room and and seeing everything is Uhura is on those round monitors, (laughs) just kind of, hello? Hello? Is anyone there? And all I could think is Max Hedrum. (laughs) (laughs) you know i I grew up watching max headroom and so i I kept waiting for her to start twitching you know (laughs) two things that i really really notice about this scene first of all we all beam over but only captain only admiral kirk has his collar popped on his coat Mm. yeah so um and the other thing is still don't think he could close it (laughs) (laughs) And, and the other thing is, while Bones is uh, going around, he's startled by something, and we get to find out that, yeah, rats made it to outer space. So thank humanity for that galaxy. Right? Yeah. So glad that we were able to go ahead and bring one of our fellow human beings out to the far edges of space. Yeah, rats. Nice, nice well, job. You don't know. Maybe that was a, a Klingon rat. You don't know. <laughs> Maybe rats are ubiquitous throughout the universe and they all look exactly the same. It's it's okay. Well, I could accept that. I have the theory that every planet has a Vasquez rock. So Vasquez rock has rats. There you go. There we go. Done. (laughs) Rationalization (laughs) is complete. So they look around, they don't find anybody. And so they walk up to a random crate. I'm not really sure why they picked it. And they, Open the crate, and what do they find inside? Chekhov and Terrell. Because- 100% back to normal. And, you know, it's so nice to find something that you can keep your Starfleet, you know, officers <laughs> fresh in, you know, keep them from going bad. Oh, you didn't open the package, did you? Oh, <laughs> I, that Chekhov was mint. Come on. 
And of course, of course, this is the great scene where uh, Jim Kirk hits two buttons and nothing happens. So then he just punches the, the face plate and it opens. <laughs> uh, also, like, why couldn't they just do a scan to find out where everybody went? I, okay, well, the people anyway. were dead. And that's actually how they did find the two is Savick finds, has her tricorder pointed at that thing. Mm-hmm. And says, Captain, now. Oh, that's true. That's true. Here, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing that really strikes me. They pull out uh, Captain Trell and, and Commander Chekhov. And Trell and Chekhov tell their story and tell everything that happens. Now, we know, because later in the movie, we, we if you've seen the movie before, you know they're lying about this. They're still oh, under. Yeah. They're still under heavy suggestion, which tells me that Khan's plan hinges on nobody saying is that what really happened well and that's the other thing too like okay so terrell pulls out a gun or a phaser or whatever which by the way the phasers in this are awful i hate them so oh, really? yeah they're terrible the both the phasers and the communicators because the communicators they tried to put like new lights or something in them so they're like big and chunky and blocky oh See the, the one that he's carrying, I need to look that up because the one that he is carrying that he opens up that big chunky one, that mm-hmm. looks an awful lot like the original prop from where no man's gone before, before oh. they had the little black with the gold one. I have to go back and watch that episode because it looks an awful lot like that. <laughs> Maybe they just lost the prop they made for the movie and they're like, <laughs> uh, we got this one in a box. <laughs> I, I, I just assume Kirk was one of those guys. He's 51. I don't, I'm not changing my cell phone. Okay. My yeah, cell right. phone works. <laughs> I'm keeping my cell phone. My cell phone works. That's all I need. Listen, I am not transferring my contacts. <laughs> so, um, but so Terrell pulls out his, his phaser, right? If Kirk had just been like, put that down. Yeah. Yeah. The, what do you the put whole, it down? The, the whole thing hinges on nobody giving them any other instructions at all. Right. It, the, the worms aren't like, you know, only responsive to Khan. Although, <laughs> uh, unless he lost he improved- twenty of his crew, maybe he did do that. <laughs> I'm thinking that maybe he did the whole thing of like he was there when they were born, so they imprinted on him as the mother. There you go. Ugh. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> hey, you're not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> you're on a planet. Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> mm, that's true. You can only read Moby Dick so many times. <laughs> they they beam down to regular first. Um, and Kirk and Spock talk to each other and their, their message of, you know, it's going to take two hours to repair everything. And, uh, we're, we're probably going to have to leave. Uh, so yeah, don't, you know, if, if you don't hear from me, leave. <laughs> and the, the message seems so innocuous. Like what, what could possibly have, could he have meant <laughs> now when they beam down to the, the interior of Regulus, um, Regula, uh, the first thing I noticed is they they walk over and they open up a case and there's the Genesis device. Yes. Why is the Genesis device made of glass? <laughs> like, I just don't understand what purpose that serves. I'm guessing because they really, really liked the sparkle effect that they were using on the camera, similar to what the uh, Cylons used in the original Battlestar Galactica. They used now, that lens where, it, you know, just gave that starlight filter. Maybe that actually is what it is. Cause like, um, the, not the Philadelphia experiment, the, was it the Manhattan project. Is that the one where, uh, 
No, it's the one where Matthew Broderick builds a nuclear device in his school. Uh, yeah, Manhattan Project. I've yeah. never seen it, but yeah, that's the. Um, so when he does that, it's a bomb encased in glass, but it's a nuclear bomb. So of course it needs to be encased in glass. I, I want to understand what this is with movie makers that if you encase a bomb in glass, it's way more dangerous. <laughs> Cause you can see it. Right. Like you can see all the little things turning inside. So, you know, it's on, it's scary. I mean, you just hand somebody a box or it's like, you know, what's in the box, what's in the box, right. but, you know, you, well, you, you, Paltrow's head. Duh. <laughs> you, you, you put a bomb in glass, you hand it to somebody, they know what's in the box. <laughs> if you can see Gwyneth Paltrow's head, you know, oh, no, um, so, filled with so then they, they, they run into, <laughs> they run into the Marcuses. Um, and there's a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> so much. Okay, so first off, Kirk walks up. He knows it's his kid. I have to admit, I spent years and years thinking Kirk was surprised by the fact that this was his kid. Now as an adult watching it, I'm like, no, he no, knows that's he his, knows kid. his kid. He absolutely knows. And there was an arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> he agreed never to show his face. <laughs> I mean, he, he asks Carol, is that David? But it's obvious he knows it's David. Right. Well, and of course David says, I'm Carol Marcus. So that, that tips him off a little bit, but it's, yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's obvious Jim knows who that is. Right. And the, um, uh, Carol is just like, hi Jim. It's so nice to see you. (laughs) All my friends have died, but you know. Right. Oh, I, I, I didn't tell him about you. So, you know, be careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Actually, I do like this part because he starts to feel sorry for himself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she kind of, she softens it, but she lets him have at the beginning when he's just like, you know, you couldn't tell him. It's like, you weren't going to be around. Right. I don't owe you anything. Exactly. <laughs> and then when he gets, then she understands that, oh, he's going through something. Right. Um, when he basically says, somebody's trying to kill me and my son wants to help. It's like, oh, he's, he's slipping in. All right. All right. right. Well, all of a sudden, this is when Terrell pulls out his phaser. And this is when Terrell rips off his mask and says, ha ha ha. I was actually a bad guy all along. (laughs) And, uh, he's got an open communication going to con. Con's been listening to the whole thing. Ooh, never saw that coming. Um, And Kirk, Kirk's standing there and he's, you can see the look on his face. He's like, yeah, I totally knew this was coming too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just never sure why. At the camera and just kind of winked. (laughs) I'm used to people pulling guns on me, even other Starfleet captains. I just really am never sure what, what the reason is going to (laughs) be, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty used to it by now. Yeah. Right. Terrell pulls out his phaser and Kirk's like, what was her name? So, um, but, so Terrell, uh, so Khan tells Terrell, kill him. And Terrell says, but he's so cool. <laughs> Here's the thing that gets me. He tells Terrell, kill Kirk. Terrell is shaking and he's like, sir, it's so difficult. He just murdered all the people on his, or not all the people on his ship. He murdered a, a fair amount of the people on his ship. And he murdered a bunch of the people in this research station. Didn't seem to face him in the least. Uh, Khan did all that. 
So you don't think Terrell had any part in it? You think he was just in the box the whole time? In the in the book, well, Terrell is kind of hypnotized, but he doesn't have any part of it in the in the book. Khan really tortures these people. All right, it's all right, pr- right. it's pretty Fair awful. Um, I do remember that that it it's there they there's a little bit of it's they they outline it a little bit about some of the stuff he does. And oh, okay, uh, it's it's a. Uh, pretty horrible yeah I, I have to admit i i had forgotten about the whole torture thing and and so when they were cutting everybody down all the hanging bodies i was like <laughs> what i don't remember this um i i i didn't really understand why it was that the earworms suddenly came out now um in the if i'm remembering this properly in the book um Chekhov had an operation on his inner ear as a child so he had some sort of artificial implant in there that caused mm-hmm. the little worm problems. And that's oh, okay. why the little worm killed Terrell, but actually ejected himself from, uh, from Chekhov. That's convenient. I don't know. Um, so I did put another note here, the worst communicators and worst phasers ever. <laughs> They're awful. The The phaser, I think what bugged me about it more than anything else is actually the design isn't too terribly bad. It's a little, uh, it was a little bit like overly streamlined, but the special effects they use were terrible. Not quite Klingons catching on fire terrible, <laughs> but pretty terrible. Um, Not your yeah. favorite phaser. Not so much. Now, uh, Shatner's angry now, right? Or Kirk's angry now. And angry Shat is, is a good Shat. <laughs> uh, so we, we do get the best line of all the Star Treks. Hands down, everybody knows it's true. And that's when Khan has told him that he's going to leave him stranded in the middle of this rock. Buried alive. Buried alive. Now, and here's the thing. Kirk does his big thing does his whole con bit mm-hmm. enraged. You were speaking earlier about Dr. McCoy and his acting bit when they were in the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Yeah. Okay. Jim Kirk is doing this knowing that Spock is still repairing the ship and just outside. It's true. It's true. Jim Kirk is a better actor than William Shatner is. How is that possible? Ooh. That, I mean, that's very possible. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it i'm not sure if that's irony or poetry <laughs> that's true okay total random set building thing why are all the crates in this thing shaped like apollo capsules they're clearly <laughs> like these are clearly miniatures that were molded to be apollo capsules at some point and i mean if you look at that like how the hell are you going to pack a room with stuff like that? You're not going to fill up a bay with those things. <laughs> and how do you carry them? Those are terrible. Those are the worst crates I've ever seen. And I like TNG and they had hex crates that make no sense either. <laughs> well, we just don't actually we, carry things anymore. We just beam them around. So we don't have to right. worry about that sort of thing. <laughs> okay. So at this point, Khan says, well, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to take your cool stuff. And he beams Genesis aboard the Reliant. Yeah. Oops. This is the low, lowest point. What I like to refer to as the lowest point of the story 
from the standpoint of this is when everything has gone wrong. This is now in a lot of movies, you'll hear really sappy music at this point. At this point, we're doing it more dramatically, but we have hit the bottom line at this point. Nothing can save us. Everything is bad. I do have to say this movie would be completely different if at that moment, the sad Charlie Brown music started playing. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'd be fantastic. And Kirk's just walking around with his head hanging down. I don't get it. I just explore the galaxy and nobody <laughs> likes me. <laughs> Spock's like, you need to get back to the ship. You blockhead. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> We have to go into the inner genesis. Yes. Yes, you're right. First. Yes. It doesn't seem that the proto-matter has any problem with creating things inside of an asteroid. Of course not. So I don't think that it's complete waste that David says it is because you could still terraform the inside of terraform the inside of asteroids where people can't see you because Enterprise couldn't couldn't see all that stuff was inside there. So right. it still has some sort of scanners don't do anything. It seems like there's, there's some sort of good there, but also getting back to Genesis. This is when I really, really, when I see this, I really start to worry that this is not so much a scientific endeavor as it is a real estate endeavor. This is really starting to look like a way to flip planets easily. I mean, at this point, after we see, if you watch that, that uh, film, that proposal and the whole CGI thing. If you just change the voiceover to Marcus and Marcus, a planned community outside the regular star system, it totally makes sense. It, it is the, the planned community of the future. And the Marcuses are little, little more than very ambitious real estate developers. I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of truth to that. I mean, you could see there were gold jackets hanging, <laughs> In the back of the room. Um, I, the the thing that I find weird about this is, so they, they go into this huge cavern and inside the cavern is this beautiful animated landscape that they really should have spent more money on. <laughs> um, but the, the idea is there that they blew up Genesis inside this thing and were able to grow on this dead rock. The thing about this is that in my brain, all I can think of is that episode of the Munsters where they grew hair on a bowling ball. <laughs> and it's, it's just in my head. That's all I can see is that they're just that bowling ball going up and down, up and down and growing more and more hair. Cause I watched a lot of Munsters. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wonder if they're going to do that in the new, uh, the new Munsters. That'd be great. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they go and they see all this stuff and then Kirk is like, Hey, uh, Spock, let's, let's just get out of here. <laughs> this, this is one of the best reveals in, in, uh, in movie history to, for me. Um, and when I originally saw it back when I was really, this actually caused the crowd of the theater to like break out in applause. Um, which is something I don't think I've ever since then. I've never seen that happen in a movie um, or in a theater that I've gone to myself. Um, but this was really, really, again, we hit the low part. We got all the way down to the low part and then we hit the reveal. I thought Nicholas Meyer, as far as the pacing on this film, I thought it was excellently done uh, Very well, because yes. you had an inkling that something was going to happen, but 
the way that they bring it all about um, and just keep on building, basically building upon success upon success. First, we're going to be back. Then we're going to take the ship. Then we're, you know, it, uh, I thought it was really, really well done. And, and for me, it's one of the things I love most about this film. Absolutely. And this is where Savick talks to Kirk and says, how did you win the Kobayashi Maru? And he says, I changed the conditions of the test. And she said, so you cheated. And he said, no, I changed, I changed the, the conditions, conditions of, of the, the test. test. Which just is kind of some sort of, you know, political talk. Right. <laughs> I, I don't believe in a no-win scenario. Which I got to stop doing that. I have a terrible Shatner. No, yeah, Nobody should. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty oh, good Shatner. Awful. But um, so I will yeah. say that's very, very, that was, that's when we really see, okay, that's Captain Kirk. I don't believe in the no-win scenario. I always believe that there's a way to get through it. Now, just between you and me, I think it's funny that uh, year that in the season finale of Strange New Worlds, where Jim Kirk's brother is speaking about Jim's character, one of the things he mentioned is he's not above depending on depending on luck. Yep. Um, and if you're going to get I, honestly, the- I was a little surprised they didn't say the Kobayashi Maru thing. I was. I'm I'm kind of wondering if that's what they're going to hinge that story on and ah. say he didn't cheat. And so that's why he's not captain. Anyway, in, in one of the books, and this is just a side thing. In one of the books, uh, the officers are all sitting around talking about how they did the Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. And they go in what actually happened with Kirk, which is not what happened in the, the later movie. But what he did was to program that as soon as he said, this is James T. Kirk of the, of the starship, whatever the, it clicked the computer system and the Klingons were so impressed and in awe of the great captain James T. Kirk that they <laughs> gladly left and were, were just thanked him for the opportunity of being in the same space as him. Um, so he not only cheated, he made it real obvious he was cheating. So I'll give him that, that he wasn't trying to like really slip one under the door because I doubt anybody would figure out, well, that was odd. You know, why would why the computer simulation all of a sudden think just how wonderful he is? I think, uh, there's a lot of, uh, um, similarities between that and the Q version of defeating the Kobayashi Maru where he basically reprogrammed it so that he could bring peace to all the civilizations involved. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think there's the, it's very similar mentality there of like, you know, what, what if we did this, the happy path? <laughs> so there's a strategy that, that happens now that I really like, or I guess it's a tactic, not a strategy which is that they keep the plan or the, the asteroid between them. Yes. As they're in orbit around the planet so that nobody can see each other. I really like that. I thought that was really cool. It was the first time I'd even thought of it, of that kind of uh, tactic. So I thought it was really neat. Um, and then they, of course they use it to kind of slowly slingshot themselves into the Mutara Nebula. Yeah. And, and that was a, uh, I thought they did an excellent job of, of, um, of prefacing this because when earlier in the movie, Kirk will ask Spock about what about regula and, and he basically just tells him it's just a rock in space. I mean, it's just a yeah. big hunk. So it would make more sense that sensors wouldn't really be able to get through as easily. Um, yep. 
Also, the fact that the Enterprise probably had a much better sensor package than the uh, than a Miranda class ship would, because Miranda class is an older ship. Um, I'm guessing oh, that, that just based on the the uh, call letters as the Reliant, I believe, is 1684 versus 1701. Um, but uh, I wonder if that's a thing. Hmm. So, well, it might have been a thing back then. It wasn't a thing once we started putting letters on the end. Yes, this is true. So this chase is frustratingly slow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I put in my notes that it's like watching OJ and the Bronco. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So now we're going to get into the run silent, run deep. Yep. Which, I mean, is going to be an inspiration for, well, it was an inspiration for Star Trek series shows such as... Um, balance of terror and even the uh the doomsday machine yep um and it will be used again uh, uh later in star trek episodes it's a it's a pretty pretty common trope um, oh yeah and we'll and we'll see the mutara nebula even though it won't be called that we'll be seeing that also in uh other star trek tv shows because that painting you know that, <laughs> that painting costs some money and right by god we're going to use it well, they definitely keep on using it. That's for sure. <laughs> it's like every nebula. Really guys. Well, <laughs> so like you said, the run silent run deep is a real big thing here. Um, like we talked about earlier, uh, we've got a manually load torpedoes. <laughs> Everything's red. We got to turn off all the lights cause you know, they can see in your ship or something. Oh, Oh, Hey, um, here we go. Rationalization. They have to hand load those torpedoes because the damage that was done was just below the torpedo bay, which is actually where the mechanism was to do it automatically. So that's why they are manually okay. loading those uh, torpedoes. Which, all right, I'll give you that one. But why do they have to open up deck plates and drop the torpedo <laughs> under the deck plates <laughs> and like slide it in there? Uh, incidentally, this this scene where uh, they're in the torpedo room and they're pulling up the deck plates and everything. Uh, this is kind of interesting because it's actually the backwards view of the, uh, the Klingon bridge from the, the first movie. So, um, the, the one that was all white and pretty and everybody had a seat and everything, (laughs) it it wasn't the Klingon bridge that we know today. That's all dark and has too many steam pipes. Um, but yeah, it's the backward shot of that, or, or they turned the set around and looked the other direction. That's this torpedo room. Okay. Yeah. Um, also it kind of weirds me out that Khan being super intelligent, super tactician, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, basically falls ill to the classic nanny, nanny, boo, boo. <laughs> you can't catch me, but he does. Uh, <laughs> and at this point, at this point, I am agreeing with Joaquin. Why are we doing this? <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, dude, he's in a nebula. We can't go in there. And Khan's like, oh, yes, we can. We're just going to go on in after him. Like, what are you doing? Look, we all understand hating Jim Kirk. I'm just telling you that, you know, a jealous husband's probably going to do the job for you. You don't have to really stress on it that much. Right. Um, I, I did really like that while they're in the nebula, they keep blind firing at each other. <laughs> and it's like, once again, this is not an action packed sequence. You have two large objects floating somewhat in the same general direction. And then they shoot lights at each other and miss. <laughs> now we are going to see the enterprise 
do something that we have never seen it do before, which is go negative on the Z axis. Just go straight down. Z axis. And the only zebra now, obviously this this is for Star Trek fans, yay, because we've been used to watching the TV show and almost everybody's working at it at a two-dimensional angle. Mm-hmm. But the scene as the Reliant goes past the Enterprise and the Enterprise rises up behind it. Now, this is a really cool scene. I love this scene. However, mm-hmm. I also think a young J.J. Abrams really loved this scene because mm-hmm. in two of his movies, we have to watch the Enterprise rise up out of some sort of cloud yeah. and do it in and in the third movie, Justin Lind even give it a shot. We'll just get rid of the ship to begin with. But we have two ships where that exact same shot happens, both coming out of, out of clouds. And it's like, okay, we get it. You saw Star Trek too. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> well, and I mean, don't get me wrong. It looks really cool. It really oh, yeah. does. But also why would your ship move that way? <laughs> like I understand maneuvering thrusters and all that to kind of do fine tuning and everything, but um, why? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so it comes up behind him and they finally get their torpedo off. And when they do boom, Chekhov pulls out his super secret torpedo joystick, <laughs> <laughs> which, Okay. They're going to go to the the pain point of building him a prop of a joystick that pops out of a, a, a console so that he can push the button on top to hit fire. But they don't give him a prop where the joystick comes out far enough that he can grab it. He has to reach in with like three fingers and pull it out. Like, what are you guys doing? What, what was this afterthought? Like the way that it was filmed too, it looks like they did it after the fact. They were like, Nobody actually saw him push the button. We we should give him a button. It was it was the children's chair. It, it was supposed to be a bunch of a bunch of cadets in there. So he actually <laughs> they didn't swap it out to the full adult size. Uh, uh, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll bet you that was the uh, that was the instructor's seat. And that's <laughs> that's like the chicken break in the in the driver's cars. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it was really a shame. We looked across the uh, the deck of the the Reliant, and what do we see? Dead strippers everywhere. <laughs> now, Those this does guys. have really, really great uh, special effects scene, though, because when they destroy the nacelle, mm-hmm. um, the uh, uh, what is it? The port nacelle on the Reliant. That was for the time. That was an amazing special effects. Sequence. Yeah. You got to see um, the uh, the phaser blast, which this is this is the only movie we're actually going to get to see phasers in. It's going to be torpedoes from here out on all other movies, right? But when the phasers hit the nacelle and they crawl up through the uh, uh, the field coils, the warp field coils, and then mm-hmm. the whole thing blows off. Really, for that time, really, really amazing special effect. It was really well, fun to watch. And they remembered after the fact that, you know, there's a bunch of open pipes and conduits and stuff. So it looked like I can only imagine it was deuterium they were leaking because I'm a huge dork, but (laughs) it was, it was trailing out behind the ship. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, the Genesis launch system. So he, he's, uh, so Khan has now decided he's just going to blow up Genesis. Why the hell not? Maybe I'll get the enterprise in, in the wake of this. 
The Genesis launch system is fantastic. This is like <laughs> James Bond meets uh, Star Wars meets Star Trek meets every kind of awesome <laughs> prop builder. It is a steel cylinder inside a steel cylinder inside a steel <laughs> cylinder. And you have to turn a you have to like rotate one of the cylinders, then turn a knob, then that cylinder drops. Then you rotate another cylinder, turn a knob, that one drops. And you keep on going until all the rings have dropped and then self-destruct starts. Woo! <laughs> this is used elsewhere. I cannot for the life of me remember where else I've seen this, but I've totally seen it. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. I, I want to say this ends up being a prop in a next generation thing but I can't be positive of that. I'll have to look that up though. The entire idea of we have to twist something and then push it down and, and, and then move something else that seems to be pretty regular in uh, Star Trek technology. They love to, yeah. m- to twist things to unlock them. That seems to be a, a, a favorite. Well, and I, I will say that um, the, I, I do think it makes sense. Um, because it's hard to do. Like, I, I believe that the Genesis device would be something that you don't want to make it an easy button. That would totally make so, sense. Yeah. So Khan decides he's, he's going to go out just like a total jerk. Yes. And take everyone with him. And so of course we got to get some warp speed going to get the hell out of Dodge. So, um, unfortunately there might've been a little bit of a radiation problem. <laughs> Which, which is kind of news to all of us. Since when has this ever been a problem? Right. S- since when, since when are your dilithium, your dilithium crystal chamber flooded? I, yeah, this one, I have to say Look, from a Star Trek point of view, <laughs> this was a little unusual. This It's 1982. We're still very afraid of nuclear power. This is true. Um, we're heading into another one of those times where we're very afraid of nuclear energy, but I think there's definitely a nuclear panic going on still. Like people are still oh, upset yes. about nuclear power, right? This so, is during the, this is during the, uh, the Reagan years. So the cold yeah. war is really starting to hit his crescendo at this point. Absolutely. This is, this is boogeyman kind of stuff. So of course, radiation real bad. Yes. Um, plus, you know, it gives us an excuse to put, uh, James Doohan into a very uncomfortable jumpsuit and make him sweat <laughs> like a hog. The poor guy that for some reason has a, uh, a, like a pneumatic fitting on the front of it. It looks like that they could, you know, okay, seriously, inflate it. all, all the engineers have to wear these things. What do they plug into that? <laughs> um, also why don't they have any radiation suits? Like that seems like kind of, if you've got a giant tube that spits radiation in the middle of your ship, maybe have some radiation suits. You, you have suits that are good enough for you to go out into open space um, mm-hmm. with all the, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Nobody even thinks about the fact that, so again, I'm going to have to rationalize. Oh, yeah. When we took that first hit, he wiped out the locker that, all of our radiation suits. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he knew exactly oh, where to hit us. <laughs> Jensen was going to wash the suits. He had just put them all in a box. <laughs> oh, man. It was, that was right there. <laughs> uh, they hit the laundry the very first thing. <laughs> so Spock runs down to engineering. He's going to help fix this problem. 
when he gets down to engineering, again, no radiation suits. So Spock's going to put on gloves. (laughs) (laughs) Now, great fake out. He goes to go in there and Bones is like, you can't go in there. Then you'll be dead in a minute. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Hey, so how's uh, how's Scotty doing? Is he all right? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Boom, dead. You're not dead, <laughs> you're knocked out. He uses that same line that he uses in Star Trek VI before he puts the patch on Kirk's thing. Perhaps you right. are right. <laughs> now, I did notice something. Okay, so spoiler alert. I've already watched Star Trek III. Um, <laughs> they... So I was watching very carefully for this. He does the mind meld with, with uh, bones really quick and goes, remember, I'm like, how did I not see that before? <laughs> oh, I felt stupid, but I watched it. It's a great fake out. A great moment. He implants something into bones and then he's going to just go into the chamber. That's fully radiated and he's going to pull the cap off of the thing and he's just going to stand there and hold his face in his radiation <laughs> blast for a while. <laughs> I still don't understand why he just stands there like that. <laughs> but hey, maybe he was looking for the right thing to move. I don't know. But all he seemed to really do is pull the cap off, get radiated and put the cap back on. <laughs> That's all you needed. Right? You just had to let some of that out. You know? Yes. <laughs> Enterprise is like, oh, thank you. You oh. know, you know, we could have put a valve on this thing and just, just <laughs> right out to space. Next time, next time we'll do that. Right? That, oh, geez, I wish we'd thought of that. <laughs> um, so we see the screen and it says everything's returning to nominal. And then, and, as and, you pointed out, and as I never noticed before, <laughs> we get a, a shot of Bruce McCullough from the kids in the hall. <laughs> Sir, Sir. the are back online. <laughs> oh my God. I laughed out loud because <laughs> as soon as I saw him on screen, I'm like, holy crap, it's Bruce McCullough. <laughs> and then uh, all I could hear when he said his line was him being cancer boy. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's, I'm amazed because he's like, sir, the mains are back online. When you say it's like, so sir, uh, the mains are back online. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh my God. This is so, one of the, this is one of the two when we hit um, first contact. The fact that Adam Scott pops up in first contact just briefly oh, for me yeah. just makes the entire it makes the entire movie. <laughs> oh my god! So, all right. So here's one that I didn't get. Um, I've watched this movie a thousand times as well, and watching the Genesis device explode, I always think of it as the Genesis device exploded on Regula. It wasn't until this watching that I'm like, wait a minute. So the Genesis planet is the Reliant and the Muntari Nebula. Yeah. And poetically in the same sector of space that the Botany Bay was originally picked up in. Oh, that is funny. Huh? Um, Okay. So we see the Genesis device explode. We see it turn into a planet and we're like, wow, that's really pretty. They do their really cool planetary explosion ring, which shouldn't have really happened, but it did. So whatever. Now this explosion, something I read said this explosion actually at the time had the Guinness world record for the fastest filming ever. They shot this thing at, at like 1200 uh, frames per second of the explosion oh, wow. and then slowed it down from that. But uh, 
it was a it was an entire thing. Huh. Man, lots of firsts in technology for this movie, especially for being done on the cheap. Yeah. Uh so then we get the phone call on the bridge. Jim, you better get down here. You better hurry. So Shatner okay. gets to sh- gets to show off that he can go down a uh, a ladder with putting his feet oh, outside yeah. and just slide down. He, he gets to do that. I will say I give lots of Star Trek lots of crap. This scene gets me in all the feels still to this day. <laughs> uh, and this scene was such, I mean, there were so many things that people wanted to happen with this scene. Mm-hmm. For this scene to actually come out as well as it did is is pretty amazing because there everybody seemed to have had an idea of how this scene should go down. Um, also, because everything rotating around this scene was absolutely moronic. <laughs> <laughs> but... They put it together and it's beautiful. Um, Shatner originally wanted the, uh, not to have a transparent glass. He wanted to be more opaque so that Spock was just a shadow. He thought that would make it more poignant. Um, Meyer was just like, not no, bad, we're not actually. doing that. Meyer was saying, I don't want us to build in a way that Spock can come back. And the executives were just like, oh yeah, we'll take your notes on that. But uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that, that ship has kind of flown. Um, it does have the great thing of the, of the line when he tries to go in because originally the script read for Dr. McCoy to stop him and tell him he's dead, Jim, but DeForest Kelly had to explain to Nicholas Meyer, who was not a Trekkie at all. That's my catchphrase. Like (laughs) it's going to be hard for people like not to laugh at me doing this. Right. And that's why they switched the, uh, the line over to Scotty telling him he's dead already, which much better line. Great delivery by James Dewan. Um, really, oh yeah. Really, that, the way he delivers that is like just a throwaway. Like he's dead already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Really, really well done. Well acted. Well, well conceived shot. Um, because Nicholas Meyer was not a Trekkie. He had a very difficult time, at least a few things that I read doing this scene because he could not understand why the cast and crew who were there, and this was a very close set, were so upset. He didn't really mm. grasp the attachment people had to Spock, and it puzzled him that people within the cast and crew were actually very, very visibly emotionally upset uh, shooting the scene, which I believe took about three days to get the whole thing down. Oh, I can believe it. I mean, this scene is just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, the the... The fact that he lays up against that glass and to, to Nimoy's credit, the way that he does this scene where he gets across to you that he has ruined his lungs, he's ruined his throat, he is absolutely blind, he's almost deaf, like, oh my God. And it just all comes across with yes. just the way he's sitting there and the way he's talking. You're like, this guy is he's trying to get out his last thoughts and that's it. And originally when this scene was written, this was going to be the end of star Trek. There wasn't going to be another movie. This was going to be basically how the franchise ended, um, at that point. So there was a lot of thought. Now, of course we all know that Nimoy decided, well, maybe I do want to do some more. Um, this was kind of fun guys, (laughs) but at the time, um, 
this also just for younger listeners this is before the star wars trilogy became like a um a cinematic cliche um, nowadays everyone's pretty much using trilogy is used to even if you have a bad second movie you're probably going to see a third movie because everybody has to do a trilogy this is yeah. before that when star trek 2 was happening we did not have faith that star trek 3 was ever going to exist well i mean let's be honest having a sequel was not that yes. common yes that is is still pretty weird yeah yeah you're absolutely right um there i mean you have few mu- movie franchises such as james bond dirty harry but for the most part you're absolutely right movies were basically a one-shot story you didn't have yeah. a lot of continued uh uh serialized type movies or anything of that nature and like i said the trilogy just wasn't a thing george lucas created that kind of like the prequel mm-hmm. Yeah, right. He did the prequel. Everyone decided we're all doing prequels now. You know, we all hate George Lucas, but we're all going to do exactly what he did. (laughs) Money's money. Now, I I have to admit, as a kid, I I didn't realize that they were setting this up for a sequel. Um, I didn't catch that. Um, But it it was, I mean, obviously now it's pretty clear, but I I didn't understand that that's where they were going for. I was just kind of like, oh, my God, Spock. And reportedly um, Nicholas Meyer was not happy about the idea that they were, they were going to, that they wanted to basically put in a way to bring Spock back. Meyer was, yeah. Meyer wanted, no, he's dying. I'm shooting a death scene. He's dying. Right. Um, well, and, and I will say that this funeral to this day is one of the, uh, one of the most impactful to me that I've watched in film. Um, just the the dour nature of it, the way that they they lowered the torpedo tube down into the torpedo chamber, which I, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> it, one thing did occur to me though that was kind of weird is that uh, they they lower the torpedo and they pull the fl- the the uh, Federation flag off of it, and I thought, you know, they the torpedo is moving through a system that carries that torpedo tube. <laughs> So that means somebody walked in, put the flag on it, lowered it, took the flag off. <laughs> it's a ceremonial thing. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, they, they launch it out there and, and um, I was going to say one of the things about it, as you're saying, very impactful. This also was unique in that in most movies we didn't see, this was before a television, a popular television series would end and then a movie would come afterwards. Yeah. You didn't have six seasons of movie. That wasn't a thing. Right. Um, so for Spock to die in this, this is actually a character that we've seen and played by the same actor for years. And so I think it kind of, it had a little bit heavier, uh, uh, heavier effect to it because it wasn't something that it wasn't somebody we had just known for the last hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. This totally. was a character that we really knew. Yeah. This was family. Yeah. Right. It was a big deal. Now that said, um, I'm sure they lost more than Spock and that one cadet in all these fights <laughs> and they probably deserve a funeral too. Um, but interestingly unlike, enough, but unlike Spock, they're actually going to look at what their final wishes are and, uh, right. and actually follow through on that as opposed to with Spock is like, I don't know, put him in a tube and shoot him. Right. Just, just shoot him out there. Uh, while they're, while they're loading the torpedo tube into the launcher, uh, they're playing amazing grace with the bagpipes. Oh yes. Um, and if you look very, very carefully, uh, James Doohan is the one who is playing the bagpipes 
And if you look underneath the handrail of the, the, that he's standing behind, you can see his missing finger, <laughs> uh, which he has taken great pains to hide from the camera in all of the series and all of the TV show <laughs> or all the movies. Uh, but he failed on that one, which he lost on D day. Didn't he? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I believe he was the Canadian forces on D day is where he lost that finger. Um, yeah. And so that is, well, and then of course the, the casket fires out and lands on the Genesis planet, which could not <laughs> possibly mean anything whatsoever. And the Genesis planet. I still do not understand this. The Genesis planet. That was golden gate park. They just put a bunch of ferns and a bunch of vines in there. <laughs> that was golden. It's like, why did you go all the way to San Francisco to shoot that? Right. And the only reason I can think of is that it was not Nicholas Meyer who shot that scene. Cause he was very upset when he found out about that scene and they did yeah. not want to be anywhere in LA when they shot that scene that That's Nicholas Meyer true. might find out about it. Well, I mean, if you think about it, all they had to do is have a bunch of vegetation stuff and the casket prop, right? Yeah. They didn't have to do anything else. So, I mean, it's an easy way for them to fly it up there unless they just called their buddies at ILM and said, will you film this for us? There so we, we go. At the end. Oh, I'll bet you, you that's you exactly it. what happened. You nailed it. Cause it was one producer. I think it was Robert Salen was the one who actually was in charge of that shooting. And oh, yeah. he's the one who said, it's like, Oh yeah, we just threw some ferns and uh, some vines anywhere where there was space. And huh? Well, that's it folks. That's, and that's Star, Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan, the story of Star Trek two, which is arguably one of the, uh, one of, if not the best Star Trek movies, not my favorite though. My that- favorite is still to come. Not my personal favorite, but I will have to say very, very close. And again, the yeah. movie I've seen more than any film ever. Yeah, I can't say the same. All right. So next time we're going to get to the search for Spock. We're going to go metaphysical. We're going to bring people back from the dead. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> we have to do that movie too. Hey, but it's going to be great because Dan from Night Court's going to be there. It's going to be so much fun. Amen. Uh, Not just Dan from Night Court, but also Jim from Taxi. (laughs) We're going to send him back to the future. Oh, he is actually in the future. All right. Uh, I just want to take a minute and say thank you to our friends over at uh, fiveyearmission.net. Thank you. Uh, The band Five Year Mission has allowed us to use their song Beam Down as our intro and outro. You guys rock. Um, Make sure you head over to fivemiriamission.net to check out all of their uh, albums. They actually do albums that are, uh, or their songs are each about a particular song in the old series. Uh, and so each album is a season of the old series. They're real cool. So check them out. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you all next time. Thanks all.